C-A-M-P-A-D-U-L-T-H-O-O-D Camp Adulthood Bridging the Millennial Divide One conversation at a time Interviewing guests Strangers and friends We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood. Hello and welcome to Camp Adulthood and the Resident Youth. I'm the Resident Youth, Maddie Yergi. And I'm Camp Adulthood, Shay Keats. And today we have once again a very esteemed guest. Uh, Lucia Holly is joining us. Um, Lucia is a friend of mine and I just admire her work so much. And in fact, I'm going to read a line from her bio because it's so good. And I was getting really anxious. I was going to forget one of her many accomplishments. So I was like, I'm just going to give myself a break and uh, read it. So Lucia is a functional nutritional therapy practitioner and women's health expert with a master's degree in social work, clinical mental health. And she teaches overwhelmed women how to stop dieting, lose weight for life, and to master their minds instead of counting one more point, calorie, or macro. And there is more awesome stuff in there. But I will let Lucia uh, say hi herself and tell us a little bit about you and where you're from and how old you are and all that jazz. Oh, I love it. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited for this conversation. It's a Friday yeah. while we're recording. I'm just like, what's the, like, that's such a good way to end the work week. Mm-hmm. Just thank you so much. So yeah, I'm Lucia Holly. Um, I live in Portland, Oregon now. I'm from the Midwest, good old Minnesota, Minneapolis, woo-woo. Minnesota. Woo-woo. I'm from Michigan, yeah. so fellow Midwester. Oh, you, you are. It. My partner, Tim, is from Michigan, so oh, lots nice. of love for Michigan. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't really know in terms of what you want me to share, but yeah, definitely Maybe into just new- start with where, like how old you are, where you said you grew up in Minnesota, just to place you on the millennial spectrum and maybe just a little bit more about your work. Yeah. So I actually just turned 31 on Tuesday. Happy birthday. Thank you so much. And just today I was walking my dog and was, you know, doing the classic thing where you talk to yourself in your head, right? I don't think I'm alone in that. And I was talking to myself, referencing myself as 30 and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm 31. And it felt good, but also kind of heavy. I was like, this feels it feels really real. So yeah. I guess uh, in terms of the millennial spectrum, I don't even know where I fall, what the cutoff is, but 31. I believe you are smack in the middle. Okay. So full, a true millennial. Yeah. Yeah. Quintessential, as we say. So I love that. Awesome. Yay. Well, thank you again for joining us. So we will uh, dive into our segments. Uh, Lucia, if you have something to add, just pop in. Um, I realize Maddie usually introduces this and I suddenly have nothing to say. I'm like, how do we introduce this segment of the campfire topic? Uh, Shay, do you have a toasty campfire topic to share with us? Oh my goodness. Well, I realized that I thought I was prepared. Apparently this is my theme of the day and then I'm like very scattered. But the thing I wanted to talk about was, um, just something I saw in the uh, Be There at Five podcast, her Instagram, um, and I guess it was something that kind of had blown up all over what the like influencer podcast? sphere. Oh, is this Be the There thing at that you Five? DM'd yeah, the about? one oh, that okay. I then I won't send you. Send what you're about. Um, and she is a podcaster that also 
talks a lot about millennial life, maybe a little bit more on the like influencer side of things. And with uh, J. Crew going under this past week, R.I.P. J. Crew, um, there are a lot of. I mean, they were a brand that worked very heavily with influencers. So, uh, the the podcaster whose name I cannot actually remember her name, but she was commenting on another like fashion. I think it was um, sassy red yeah. lipstick. If you guys are There's familiar also with her, just. So you don't feel like you have to detail the whole thing, Shay. I actually saw an article on BuzzFeed that actually showed the woman that you're about to go into who was Mm -hmm. the influencer who did the try-ons with J. Crew, And I guess her post got a lot of national attention and BuzzFeed wrote an article about that. So I'll link Mm -hmm. to it in the episode notes so our readers can become more familiar if they're like, what is this? Perfect. Perfect. So the Reader's Digest version of this is... uh, at Sassy Red Lipstick. It's terrible that I don't know any of these influencers' like actual names. Um, said, hey, like it is my job to try on these clothes. I get an affiliate commission if you buy with my link. And since J. Crew isn't paying out their affiliates anymore because they're bankrupt, I am not going to do the try-on because it takes time out of my day. And then uh, at Be There in Five, basically made a commentary on it that was like, hey, you know, it doesn't take that long. Um, You don't need to be that transparent if you don't want to do the try on, like just kind of be like, oh, here are a few things, you know, don't do the whole like having to steam it and make it all fancy and look perfect. Just like show us what you got and you don't have to be that that transparent and anyway there was a there was a bunch of hullabaloo and Maddie and I kind of had different feelings on it you know I kind of agreed a little bit more with at be there in five and I was like you know I'm glad people are making money from this and I fully get how the economy works but there is something that seems a little entitled when your job is to create free content basically to be like well I'm not going to do this sorry if you were expecting it followers um well why maddie thought that the be there in five gal was a little out of line so i just wanted to bring that up i know lucia also works in the online space and does by the way lucia's content everyone is fire you all need to follow her on every channel do her newsletter it's all so good yes i signed up for the newsletter today so i got my first one today i'm so excited Ooh, Um, welcome welcome yeah no i definitely so shay just sent me the link to this woman's reaction to the J Crew affiliate link woman um, without any context. And so I just like, I had never experienced this woman's work. So I kind of was just like looking through her feed and then I watched her, it was all through Instagram stories and I watched the whole story front to back. And I didn't really feel like the J Crew woman's post was off-putting. And I generally am on the side of, transparency is better because then Mm -hmm. everyone's entitled to feel off put by it and if it's too much or it takes the illusion away of oh I didn't realize that I was being sold to in this way like it's Mm -hmm. always better to have more information because then you can choose to either partake in that or not as long as you know that it's happening so that was one feeling that I had on it I was happy that the J Crew woman was transparent about it but Mm -hmm. I didn't really like the tone of the woman that was the be there in five woman who was commenting on it because she timed it and she was like, well, it only takes 52 seconds to post this affiliate link and you're getting all this money off of it. And then she was like, well, women, I'm all about women making money, but social media isn't about selling. And I just thought it was very 
condescending and a little judgy towards like no one's telling you that you need to follow or consume any particular type of media but like just unfollow it like you don't need to say that this person is doing the wrong thing and I actually do think that the facade of like you know it's about sharing it's about family it's about all this stuff like if you know someone's a professional influencer like it's 2020 we shouldn't be under the assumption that someone's not making money from it so that's where I thought like her tone was a little patronizing I guess my kind of why I had a different opinion is I felt like they both had a tone like that and I think that was kind of the thing that maybe that's where I didn't think that the J crew woman had any tone wrong with what she said in in general because this is something that I like preach all the live long day until I'm blue in the face about like you should get paid for shit if you're com- if you're creating content you e- it's either a marketing tool or it needs to be monetized in some way so like i love that like i've drank all that Kool-Aid but i felt like again i felt like there was a little bit of tone with both of them and you can be transparent without having to be like well since i'm not getting paid for this i'm not doing it yeah. so there, i just don't I know like what this, the like, alternative tone yeah, I just don't. Yeah, that's interesting. I could see how it could be interpreted that way. I didn't get that impression from reading it, but hearing you explain that, I could see it. I felt it was more like, what's the alternative? Either she does her normal stuff for the facade of her followers, getting the same content that they're used to, knowing that she's going to get nothing from it, which that doesn't seem right to me, or she does it kind of half assed, which is what the be there and five women was suggesting she was like well you can just put on the wrinkly clothes and like you know just do it for free and it's like well that's not the like content that she's putting out there and her followers are going to be like why is she half-assing it or why not just why just not do it at all all. yeah why just but people if you have a big following something else if you have a big following people are going to be like where are the try-ons and then you have to explain it that's kind of how yeah but I don't know in either of these women. So what's your yeah. opinion, Lucia? Yeah. You're in the online space. Give us give us your thoughts. Yeah. Well, first off, now I want to go like stalk their Instagrams yeah. and like get more of the download and what's happening with the drama. I love it so much. I think it's really fascinating. And I feel like it also kind of um, shows that in this, as much as like being an influencer is very much a true job, but it's it's fascinating to me that social media, it's always such like a, it's a moving target. So I think these conversations are so fascinating because it's like, yeah, there's no right or wrong yet because it's such a wild west, first and foremost. So I think that's really fascinating. But actually, while you two were chatting through that and I was listening, it's interesting with Amazon affiliates. I have a couple. I used to have a food blog and it's still just hanging out, right? It's very much on the back burner, but it's still like active and people can search it and stuff. So on that food blog, I used to use Amazon affiliate links here and there for products, et cetera. Um, but it's very, very low key. It's not something I've even checked in on in the last year or so. So I just saw a different influencer who mentioned that Amazon affiliate payout used to be 8% and now they've dropped down to 1% very recently. Oh my gosh. So huge, huge percentage change, right? Which makes a big difference. And that influencer very much was, you know, speaking to like transparency was sharing her thoughts. And it was interesting seeing everyone else chime in with their thoughts where just, you know, similar being like, well, how many seconds does it take you to grab a link? How much do you want to be fostering being a container of support for your followers? How much do you want to be like, okay, I'm over it, right? Those links like aren't serving me. They're not going to serve you. Let's find new ways and new methods of moving through whatever this like influence relationship is. So 
that's my opinion is that it's like, okay, if it's happening there, clearly J crew with a different story. But like, I think we're maybe on like the beginning of tides changing just across the board. Well, and again, I think it, and I really, you know, I think these influencers are small business owners and I, and I think each one, and I guess I was looking at it a lot from this, that perspective of like, okay, what is the decision tree that each small business owner makes to small business owner as influencer makes to do this? And and I think you're exactly right, Lucia, like you have to think about, okay, is it worth the 20 cents I'm going to get on this product? Um, or, but if I like, I don't know, I guess you have to look at the economics of each individual influencer because say Sassy Red Lipstick did a really great final J Crew try on and then Nordstrom's is interested in her as an influencer. Like you don't know. So I guess there was a part of me too that was like, that's not smart if you want to work with other brands. Yeah, that's like, true. You I know, didn't think so about it that way. I thought that was I just thought it was interesting and I think it's a culture that we all, you know, both consume and participate in. So yeah. I wanted to bring it up. I saw an interesting thing when I was um we've all we we all love BuzzFeed right and someone was like it's just I think peeling back the layers and it's why this conversation is so important and like I think we've all like both Yushe and Lucia like said things that I hadn't really thought about just from like consuming the Instagram story but someone that I follow on Twitter was like just as a an example, but it's all part of the same ecosystem, like BuzzFeed has a huge affiliate affiliate marketing in their listicles. And mm-hmm. we've talked about that former just the guest of the pod, Jen Tanti does um, influencer affiliate marketing for BuzzFeed. And a ton of mm-hmm. those um, links are for Amazon. And but then they're also publishing in BuzzFeed News, all of these stories about all of the um, activism that's been happening around the pandemic with the Amazon workers. And there was a high profile um, person that kind of stood up against the conditions in the warehouse and they ended up getting fired. And it's like, well, this is all part of the same umbrella where on one hand you're consuming news being like, this is not right. Amazon workers deserve better. But then also on the same website, consuming Amazon products through these affiliate links, which like they clearly say there's a link in there and BuzzFeed gets a cut from it, but not everyone's paying that close attention and it's all under the guise of like the BuzzFeed brand. And that's where I kind of, where I was coming from of like transparency is always better because I think people don't realize like even some guests of the pod that we've had, Shay, like I don't realize until I like dig through their content, like, oh, a lot of it, this isn't just like their personal Instagram like they're selling they have a lot of affiliate links Mm -hmm. they're selling stuff and if you don't realize that like the transparency seems slimy because it's like pulling back the curtain but it's always kind Mm -hmm. of been there so um but I agree it's like a complicated conversation in the social media that started as like cat videos and talking to your mom and Mm -hmm. your aunts on Facebook is now like a multi-million dollar business it's a hard thing to navigate Mm -hmm. for sure yeah, but I think it's interesting too because I, I mean, I personally love affiliate marketing, and I, you know, when people that I care about their content offer an affiliate link, like I will make a point to go back and buy that thing with their affiliate link, yeah, and sure. I think there's, 
what's cool about it, as opposed to like celebrities who are hawking the like skinny tea or whatever, oh, is so I bad. know. Um, well, but I mean, I think like to think about, I know we hate the skinny tea, but like former guest of the pod, Cassie Knable is always has that um, milk frother on her Instagram. And it's like, she makes and has made, I think, I don't know, probably not tons of money off of that affiliate link, but probably a couple hundred bucks here and there. And it's, I know because of the way she shares her content that that's something that she uses and loves. And that's really cool. And I love that she gets a chunk of that if I buy one. But then again, the flip side is, you know, Kim Kardashian and her like skinny pops or whatever. To me, that's wrong, you know? So anyway, that's a whole nother conversation. So we can yeah. maybe leave it there unless you, Lucia, have any final comments on the topic. No, I think, well, I think it's interesting too, kind of going off of what you said with Cassie as well, really also breaking things down into like what we value, right? Mm -hmm. So like as a consumer of her content, it's such a great example, as a consumer of her content, a friend, someone you're connected with, your proclivity to support her, I think is going to be different as a small business, mm -hmm. her being a small business owner, than something like the Kardashians, you're like, well, even though you're one person on a screen, we know culturally to some extent that they're a huge part of a machine, like the Kardashian machine, yeah. like whatever that ends up being. So I think it's a great point to bring up. And it's, mm -hmm. it's that it comes back to that trust factor, which yeah. is so much of influence. Yeah, yeah. I love it. All right, Maddie, do you have a toasty log for our campfire? Um, I do. Going back to our beloved um, BuzzFeed, I will link to this article, but they, um, had an article out today and it was kind of a deep dive into something that I thought was going to be a very frivolous topic, but then it ended up being super fascinating. They were talking about why Nashville has become such a destination for bachelorette parties and what about that city has kind of lent itself to this and the culture around bachelorette parties and stuff. And it was just nice because obviously we're living in this pandemic time and we all want to get back to the time where we can attend bachelorette parties and it not be a weird oh, yes. thing um, one day. And it was very, very fascinating. And they, they looked at it through the lens of how the demographics of Nashville has changed and how much of their economy is now geared more towards tourism and towards catering these groups of women. And the article was written by a woman, and she talked a lot about her own experiences going to Nashville ba bachelorette parties and how she didn't really interrogate her own experiences because you're just having fun at a bachelorette party, right? You're not supposed to be thinking about anything deep, but it's like, what part of the city are we inhabiting? What's the history of this place? You're not really getting that from like this party atmosphere, Um and how they interviewed a lot of small business owners that are doing some really interesting stuff to serve these women that are coming down there. Um, and they talked a lot about like Instagram culture, how a lot of the like public art in Nashville is now changing to be more Instagram friendly so that women mm. will take pictures in front of it and stuff like that. And it, it, what I liked about the article was it wasn't villainizing these women. And I was kind of starting the article expecting to hate read it because we talk a lot about it in this podcast like things that young women like tend to be vilified in the media as being bad just because men or older people don't like it um 
And the article wasn't like that at all. It was like, hey, this is this is a fun thing. Bachelorette parties exist for a reason. Your friends are your friends. You're not going to like curate a different type of friend group to be more, you know, to be what it, this is your group of friends, like the the six or eight women that you're going to invite to your bachelorette party. Like these are the people that have been in your life. You can't change that. You're not going to change their behavior. You're not going to change the things that you guys think are fun. But when you're, you know, flying from New York or Boston or, you know, driving from the Midwest to Nashville to a place that a lot of people haven't been and experiencing it at this very surface level, you're missing a lot of the deep history of the city. Um, And it's kind of being revitalized in this very, like, Magnolia, Joanna Gaines, like, Mm. very specific you know, view of the world where it's a lot of like skinny women and with their the blonde hair, like we can all think about what the stereotype is. And, um, you know, when the whole economy starts pivoting in that direction, you end up losing a lot of businesses that cater towards older people, towards minorities, towards men even. So it was a very interesting article. I like that. Um, I have some thoughts. Lucia, do you have any thoughts? Oh, well, I have some thoughts. Mostly I was like, I want to, I've been wanting to go to Nashville. I have a friend who moved there a couple years ago and it was on my travel list until quarantine hit. No. So it I've will be something that I, I want to go to. Yeah. I find that, I find that really fascinating. And I was just thinking, I was like, okay, like thinking of Nashville and what I've seen on social media, that totally aligns like really Instagrammable, you know, restaurants and just being in that urban environment. So that's my thought. I mean, I never would have thought of it that way, but now that you've said all of that, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I, I get so conflicted by, by the, this discussion because there's a part of me that's like capitalism, right? Like if this is what people are spending their money on, if it helps the city to grow and stay viable, I don't really care. You know, it's not like people are like, selling crack cocaine in the streets like they're putting up instagrammable art yeah totally and i think there's definitely city planners and people who are you know catering to that the chamber of commerce etc they want to think about like yeah if they're putting up instagrammable art they better make damn sure it's by a local person of color and not an international famous person artist just because what they do looks good you know so I think there are definitely a lot of considerations that people can make to come to a happy medium but also it's like part of it comes back to this culture of being quote-unquote woke right like sometimes I just want to go to Nashville and get drunk and like take some pictures of some art and maybe listen to a good band and that's it and I don't want to have to think about a complicated history and that doesn't mean that I don't enjoy learning about the complicated history and of course I wish every time I go on vacation somewhere I could spend a day learning about that but you know yeah I totally agree I had the exact same thoughts how does that work I don't know but I'm excited to read the article so thank you Maddie yeah I thought it was very nuanced because I told I agree with everything you just said I had the full range of thoughts where I was like oh this is interesting I didn't know this history of segregation in Nashville or this history of like stuff that happened in the nineties when I was a kid that I just like never knew that is the way that the city is. So like that was very interesting, but I also agree. It's like, you're going to a bachelorette party. You're not there for like a historical exercise. And 
the weather, the people there, the establishments, like it all lends itself to being very good for something where you're probably only going to be there for 36 hours. So you're not going to like have this whole experience. Um, And then also recognizing that like silly white girl culture, people like to shit on for lack of better phrasing, which I think some of it is silly, but some of it is just like people having fun in a relatively harmless way. So yeah, I, I had very like mixed feelings on it, but I thought the article kind of like goes through all the aspects of it. Um, But just kind of thinking about all these places in the South, this was the other piece that I forgot to mention that I I thought was interesting, like how basically all of America is like getting homogenized. Like a lot of, Mm -hmm. like if you go to Nashville, it's very similar to Austin. It's very similar to New Orleans. It's very similar to Vegas in a lot of ways. Um, I definitely feel that with a lot of like Midwestern cities. I'm from outside Detroit and like a lot of it feels very similar to Pittsburgh and Cleveland in a way that it didn't 10 years ago. And so it's all just kind of like blending even with New York, a lot of the, and it's not all necessarily bad. A lot of it is excellent um, progress, but it's just interesting to think about that when you want a quote unquote authentic or different experience from where you live, you know, as time goes on, where in America are you going to get that experience? So well, but I think what'll be really interesting is post coronavirus, do we go back to being more regional and do we see a shift and do we see more those unique features? Yes, being seen through a modern lens of homogeneity. Is that a word? I don't know. But, um, you know, do we, do we get back some of that regional flavor, which, because this has happened, there is a wonderful book I would rec- recommend to anyone called a uh, food of a younger land. It's by Mark Kurlansky. Have you read this Lucia? It's, I have. Yeah. Oh, it's one of my favorite books. It's might actually be a top 10 favorite book for me. I love it, but it talks about how, so during the great depression, um, they, the WPA, one of the many like creative projects is they put writers on this mission to go to rural parts of the U S and like copy down the recipes from that were being lost. Well, then after world war II, everything wasn't regional anymore. So all of those unique cultural touch points through food had been lost. Um, but now again, we're going back to a point where we can't or won't or shouldn't travel. So will we see a return to various regional differences. I don't know. I think it'll be interesting. Yeah, I totally agree. Awesome. Lucia, do you have a toasty campfire topic for us or should we dive right into the interview? Oh my gosh. Well, I was trying to think about one and I wasn't trying to like tie it into my work by any means, but I do think I was like, am I a millennial? Like sometimes I feel so out of touch with millennial like culture. I'm like, oh my God, okay, I got to work on this. But when I stepped back and thought about it, I think the backlash or just like conversation that's happening right now with Adele and that photo oh, that she yes. posted. I have so many is, thoughts. Yeah. It's tell really me, fascinating. So tell me the whole story. I saw the picture, but I have not heard any of the controversy. Basically, the picture yeah. is it. That's what everyone's commenting on, right, oh. Lucia? Yeah. yeah. That, and that's what I was going to say. Like, Maddie, like, fill me in if it's more than just like Adele posted a photo of herself, had like a text that was not about a- anything really in particular, just kind of a normal, like, 
here I am in like a cute pose, but she's looking very, very thin. And so mm-hmm. the I think the backlash that people and the conversation that's coming up is that people are praising her. Some people are saying that you shouldn't praise someone for being thin because you don't know why. Other people, then there's backlash to that saying, well, if she's happy, then, you know, good for her. So just all of the conversations that came up and people making kind of before and after photos and just putting a lot of judgment and uh, judgment on Adele and her body. So, Lucia, I'm sure we'll get more into this um, when we dive into your work. But as someone who deals with this professionally, so Lucia does work with women about weight loss and how to do that in a way that's sustainable and healthy and cuts through a lot of the mess around that. So, but how do you advise your clients if someone, I mean, Adele, I mean, it's not any secret, right? That she lost, she clearly lost a large amount of weight just as a fact. So how would you, you know, address a client or advise a client if they're like, people are starting to comment on this. How do you handle that? Uh, if a client is like, people are commenting on my weight, like, yeah, the exactly. Weight. So like how, yeah. how do you think that should be handled? Yeah. Well, I think it comes back to the individual and I think that's, what's really hard with Adele. Yes. She's a celebrity. Yes. She's in the spotlight again. She was kind of out of it for quite a mm-hmm. while. Right. Um, but you're the person who's setting the boundaries around how people are speaking about you. So I think usually when it boils down to a client feeling uncomfortable with people talking about their bodies or just, you know, off the cuff saying, oh, have you lost weight or whatever the comment's going to be, is that it comes back to personal responsibility. So if it's someone like a family member or someone that you have like a relationship with, if that's triggering you or is feeling overwhelming, they're not mind readers, right? No one's going to know what's in your head until you bring it up with them and you make space for that. So I think there's there's that level that if you don't like how someone's commenting about you, you have to tell them or you have to get curious about if you don't want to tell them, why is that, right? Like what, what does that bring up for the relationship? Um, and then if we go a step removed and there are people commenting on your body or how people are commenting on Adele's body, judgment is positive and negative And what other people think about you, their reactions to you are none of your business. So that's what I find really fascinating are like, especially like on Instagram or I'm sure on Facebook, the comment sections that just go and go and go. Everyone's going to argue for their own point, but everyone is judging Adele, whether people are giving her kudos, being like, wow, good for her. If she looks happy, you know, she doesn't have to tell us how how it happened or if she's starving herself or if she's really just like, you know, embracing where her body's at, whatever, there's positive judgment and there's negative. And both of them are not Adele's business. So that's something that I would bring back to clients is to say, like, if other people are judging you, it's really up to you to decide, again, if they're close to you, do you want to bring them in and have a conversation? Or are you ready to let it go? Because your weight loss is for you and for you only. I love that. Yeah, I thought it was very interesting. I actually saw that photo and I think a lot of people had this reaction where I didn't register that it was Adele and I thought that it was Mm -hmm. like a sorority recruitment photo for some reason. Shay and I were both in a sorority and I was like, (laughs) I kind of like scrolled past it and then I was like, wait a second. And I was like, oh, this is not someone that I know in my personal life. This is a celebrity. Um, But I think it's very interesting. I've seen a lot of like, people too which I think is another like part of the toxicity of like people that claim to know 
how she lost the weight, which I don't know how anyone would know that. Like, there's a popular um, Instagrammer who I'm not going to name because the fact that she said this, I was like, what the hell? She has, like, a lot of followers. And she herself had a very long and arduous weight loss journey. And she now claims to be at the point that she wants to be at. And she was like, well, I know from inside sources that Adele only eats the amount that a four-year-old's supposed to eat. So the fact that people are praising her is really bad. And I'm like, how do you even know that? Like, it's just so weird. And like, this person has such a big following that you would put that out there as fact is just like beyond me. So that was like shocking. Let's talk a minute about like what four-year-olds eat. Like, first of all, four-year-olds can consume a... This is also true. Literal... A lot of chicken nuggets happening. So, I mean, I'm, like, amazed sometimes at how much food, like, a skinny four-year-old can eat. Yeah, it's just so much misinformation and Mm -hmm. judgment. Like you were saying, Lucia, it's, like, insanity. I don't know. It it is. And it's, it's also very noisy and overwhelming. So, for anyone who's, like, seen that conversation going down or just the conversations on weight loss, weight gain, like weight, anything, weight stigma during quarantine and COVID, Corona, all of this. There's a lot. It's like the band-aid's been ripped off. And I think, you know, we're kind of coming into a new normal, whether it's short-term or long-term. But we're like, I think a lot of us are feeling really raw. So things like weight and then to have Adele and her body image, which is, I think, surprising, kind of like what you said, Maddie, where you're like, oh, I didn't even know it was Adele at first glance until I went back and like kind of studied the photo. It's just we have to get really curious about what triggers us. And so if anyone is having overwhelm with that conversation, again, I'm a huge fan of curiosity. If it's so overwhelming and so triggering, then unfollow, then mute, then delete Instagram for a day. Like you do you. (laughs) It's okay to not be in the conversation. But I think as humans, we want to like we want to figure things out. And that's also what I think is interesting with social media. Like we're all naturally curious to a certain degree, I think, I believe. But if we're always trying to figure things out, we're never going to win. And I think there's a lot of like, I'm, I'm going to win this conversation. No, it's this way. No, it's that way. But you can't have enough information. You can't know how she lost the weight, why she lost the weight. Yeah. If the weight's going to come back, what her ultimate goal is, like who cares, right? Yeah. She's a celebrity But to take it to that extent, it's not going to be helpful for many people unless we want to have the insight of like how and why humans talk and all that stuff. It's funny. I think I love what you said, Lucia, about, you know, everyone's weight loss journey is personal to them. And I think that that's really important. And I think a lot of the conversation that I've seen and a lot of it at its core, I think, is very good. There's a, a woman that I know personally. She's a friend of mine. And she posted and she's had a lot of weight loss struggles in her life. And she was like, you know, the fact that, you know, people are praising Adele for being skinny. It just reinforces that the only way to be a good person in society is to be skinny. And it's like, while that is true at its essence, I I believe that that's a good conversation to have. It's also putting Adele's personal weight loss journey on you. And it's kind of egocentric to also be talking that way, like you know, who knows, like, why she might not even have wanted to lose weight on purpose. Maybe she has a disease or something. God forbid. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so it's just, it's also very, like, egocentric, which social media lends itself to that. So I thought that that was great, Lucia, that you pointed that out, that anyone's weight loss journey is their journey. And 
you can witness it and support them, but it's not also indicative of your own journey. Yeah. So I think that's a good transition into the interview portion. What do you think, Shay? I think that's excellent. It's almost like we planned it. <laughs> cool. Um, so Lucia, I guess to begin, I mean, clearly I'm familiar with your work, but um, I would love to hear your story about how, you know, how you got into the line of work that you do. Um, Lucia, again, is a nutritional therapist and also has an MSW. She has done all of this cool work. She runs a group coaching program and course on intermittent fasting called Lean and Liberated. And she has a podcast um, called Devoured, which by the way, I love that. When I saw that, I was like, Damn, that is a good name for a podcast. So uh, I love, love that you got that. So I would love to hear just about your journey uh, to this path that you're on. Yeah, for sure. Well, I always say I'm like, man, I wish I had like a 30 second elevator pitch for my journey. But I think like a lot of others, a journey is like long and winding and there's some forks in the road. So a couple kind of points of my journey Um, When I was about 14, 15, I was about 80 pounds heavier than I am now. And I think coming of age, being in a larger body, there are, you know, speaking of judgment, everything that we're just talking about, you get a lot of insight when you are in a heavier body. And it wasn't necessarily by choice, especially coming of age and just having lots of opinions on all the bodies that are changing all the time. Mm -hmm. So um, I lost that 80 pounds also when I was a teenager, about 14, 15. Um, And it was really fascinating than being in a body that people consider to be uh, better, and I'm using air quotes, or, you know, healthier, what have you. So when I lost that weight, the thing that was so fascinating, and I lost it in a way that actually felt actually very liberating, you use that word with intention, um, it felt really freeing. And it was about the body composition to a certain standpoint, but I had all these other health issues, like daily headaches, just feeling really tired, lethargic, these issues that in my head, logically as a 14 year old, I knew like I shouldn't have daily headaches. Like I should be young and like running around and feeling great. So losing that weight was both fascinating from a social perspective, being a a very curious um, teenager, noticing like, oh, wow, people treat me differently. I'm the same person, just like my body looks a little bit different now. So that spurred my interest in health and nutrition because of how much better I felt regardless of the weight loss. And then, you know, fast forward a couple of years when I was a late teenager, I started and I was in college, I started having a lot of panic attacks, anxiety attacks, um, felt like it was really hard to focus in school and school had been a really fun subject previously. So things started to feel really rocky for me. Long story short, I found out about gluten and what gluten was, um, found a study about someone who was looking at the relationship between anxiety and depression and like a little cohort of, I think it was like Swedish teenagers and what happened for their mental health when they either, you know, one group stayed eating gluten, another group went gluten-free. And this was over a decade ago. Gluten, being gluten-free was not popular. People did not know what that word was really. It was just mm-hmm. trying to like be in the lexicon. Um, so I tried going gluten-free because it actually kind of mimicked the what I did when I was 14 to lose that weight. It was a lower carbohydrate diet then. I was like, oh, I felt really good then. Maybe I just by you know proxy wasn't eating a lot of gluten. Anyway, so went gluten-free. Within two weeks, since when I was 19, within two weeks, all the anxiety attacks stopped, all the panic attacks stopped, brain fog cleared up, felt really happy, could do my homework again, right? Like could like do my job. And I was flabbergasted. 
And I was like, if taking out this one thing, gluten is a protein, right? If taking out this one protein that's in a couple of different grains could so radically change my life that I thought I was just destined to be really anxious. I thought it was just my personality. So to have that one small thing actually have a huge change um, and impact on my life across the board, I was like, well, I, I can't pretend that that didn't change my life. So maybe I should talk about nutrition now. So from there, it's just been an evolving process and evolution of just saying like, no one needs to go gluten-free if they don't want to, but let's talk about food. And so from there, I think I really just started to notice that women in my communities were feeling like they actually couldn't lose weight or they shouldn't because if their friends, you know, they start, there's this conversation, I think, kind of intersection where we're not in diet culture, like the law of the women I work with, they know what that is. They're like, well, I know I don't have to lose weight. I know my body is lovable, respectable, is great in any shape or form. And then also on the side, there were kind of these side whispers of women being like, but what if I want to? Am I bad for wanting to lose weight? Am I bad for wanting to, like, what is happening? My brain, there's a lot of drama. So that's where in this last year, I've really shifted over to say, like, let's make a container and a space so we can have these thoughts and unpack them instead of having one more thing to feel ashamed about or bad about ourselves around. Well, I mean, and I think... I mean, I hope you realize how radical your philosophy is because this is not, you know, we have to be so all or nothing about everything, I think, in modern American society. And it's either like losing weight is bad. I mean, losing weight is good. I mean, don't you dare even look the wrong way at a piece of gluten or who cares? Everything else is crap. And And I think, and yes, clearly there are some diseases where if you, eat any gluten, it will be bad for you. Or if you eat any lactose, it will be bad for you or you eat whatever. But we're not talking about those people, right? We're talking about finding this balance and this fact that more than one thing can be true at once. And I love that you talk about that so openly in a space where, you know, people tell us we're not allowed to do that. And that if we do that, we're bad. I just couldn't handle that anymore. I was like, and I think I'm like a questioner slash rebel and like the Gretchen Rubin for tendencies. And I don't know if you guys talk about Enneagram or all those things, but I would like last year, I just got fed up because I, for so long, I hadn't really identified with my weight loss. It wasn't part of my marketing for my business. It was just kind of like, oh, that happened. And I like, let's talk about the food, right? Like I'm a foodie. Like, let's talk about what you're eating, fresh food, whole foods, whatever. So it's it's been a really interesting transition to be like, oh my gosh, if you're telling me there's something I can't talk about, like, are you kidding me? Because that weight loss, yeah, it wasn't a big deal, but I want that for more women. I don't yeah. want to say like, ooh, sh- sh- you shouldn't talk, like, don't talk about yeah. that. There are already so many things we're not allowed to do, right? Or we feel shame around. So I was like, screw that. Let's talk about it. And then we can decide from there if we want to keep having the conversation or if we want to put it to rest. And that's what I always tell people or, you know, try to express is like, if you want to lose weight, you're welcome to. If you don't, you're welcome to. If you want to gain weight, you're welcome to. Like, we all get to be liberated and we get to decide what that looks like for ourselves. Yeah. Do you, I'm curious about, if you're open to talking about it, about your own weight loss journey, because it seems like from what you just described, it was somewhat not as like, like you, you felt good about it. And it was, it was almost like this effortless, like you made a change, it worked, it's stuck over time, which a lot of women don't experience that there's a lot of this like yo-yo dieting going up and down. 
Um, and I've seen that in a lot of your work on your website and the things that you write about of like, let's, we don't want to be counting points anymore. We don't want to be going on this yo-yo diet and trying these different things. Like, let's find something that works for you. So did you feel like that was just lucky when you were 14, 15 and you lost that weight? Or was there something intentional that worked for you that could maybe be helpful for other people? Yeah, it's a great question. So 14 slash 15, that was the era of Atkins, the Atkins diet, right? Like a ketogenic kind of no carb diet. So for me, you know, I also have a couple autoimmune conditions. I have Hashimoto's, which is autoimmune thyroid condition. Your thyroid is like your master energy regulator, which can play a large role for people who are gaining weight or losing weight, just feeling like things are not in their control. So when I look back, my parents put me on the Atkins diet and you know, I think a lot of people would be like, whoa, how horrible. But it really was this beautiful opportunity because at no point before then had anyone really had the conversation that the food choices, the macronutrients, right, protein, fats, and carbohydrates, that those could make an impact. It was it was more so just like very kind of high level, like, well, you must be eating too much, so just eat less, which for me and my body individually had hadn't really worked. And that, you know, kind of brought more shame. So that was, yeah, the, the biggest weight loss was then. And then after a couple of years, I wasn't on Atkins for forever. So then it was an evolving process of, you know, gaining some weight back, noticing that, fine-tuning things, right? Having a deeper understanding, especially when I went through my certification, a deeper understanding of, oh, maybe this is why grains are more difficult for me to tolerate. Maybe it's been my digestion that needs more support, my blood sugar regulation, right? There's so much more nuance to the conversation. So that's also why I love, you know, talking about this subject because we can talk in broad strokes, but at the end of the day, it becomes very personalized and how we use our food, how we move through uh, our lives, our energy, right? What we do every day, that there's a lot of bio-individuality there that we can respect. And I think really kind of harnesses a lot of power. Can you talk a little bit more about this idea of bio-individuality? Because again, I think we so much when we're talking about diet, we want it to be like, well, again, you can't eat any gluten. You can't eat any of this. You can't do any of this. Um, so what does that mean and how does that translate to real life? Yeah. Ooh, that's such a good question, Shay. So <laughs> I would say it's kind of, um, like twofold. So especially if you're looking at things from like a nutrition perspective. So number one, Whole foods are whole foods, right? Like in Lean and Liberated, I'm not telling people what to eat. I'm offering education. But a lot of the classes being like, yo, you want to eat some chocolate chips? You can do that. You can do that and lose weight, right? So we can have these different tiers of, you know, information and um, conversations. But in terms of what we're talking about here, I think the different tiers are that we're going to have different proclivities, right? Like me having Hashimoto's is different than my sister who doesn't. We share a lot of genetics. But what's going to work for her is intrinsically going to be different from me. I'll use myself as an example again. I'm allergic to shrimp. So if someone were to say like, hey, go on the Mediterranean diet and eat a lot of shrimp while you're at it because they're high in this and that vitamin, okay, that, I mean, it's kind of like a duh, don't eat something you're allergic to. But I think it's a good example to point out is that we can have these baseline differences that we have to bring into account, Right. And then from there, I really also chat a lot with women about stress. So we have our kind of initial proclivities with our bodies, right? What's up with them? 
And then based on how much chronic stress we're under, stress and duress, right, our bodies are going to start to like tell us certain things to bring us back into um, it's almost like um, a thermostat, like back into regulation, right? Like what's the comfortable place for me to be in? And I think that's something that, especially with nutritional therapy, is something that we can address more fully, right? So if we're stressed out, someone's digestion might shut down for one person. Okay, maybe we need to focus on their stomach acid levels. But maybe for another person, their stomach acid levels are fine, but there's something kind of funky going on with their ileocecal valve that connects their small intestine to their large intestine. Doesn't mean that one problem is better or worse than the other. It just means that we have to be nuanced with these conversations, because if not, again, kind of you know, going off of what we've been chatting about, it's just an invitation down into a shame spiral. And I, for one, I don't have time for that. Life is really <laughs> precious, right? Like, I don't want a shame spiral. I want to feel really good. I want to give people the tools that they need to feel really good. And then I want them to feel empowered to take those tools and run with them, right? And not to be worried about what we should or shouldn't do. Who's going to judge us? Great. Guess what? Everyone's going to judge you anyway. So go do your thing. I I love what you're, you're saying about the shame spiral because I think um, – you've talked about this. Okay, guys, confession. I'm also a client of Lucia's and I'm in her lean and liberated program and I love it. And she's amazing and everyone should do it immediately. Mm -hmm. Um, but what, one thing that you've talked about that I think goes off of this and our listeners would appreciate is often, again, we feel like in order to be allowed to make a change to our diet, our exercise, our body, we must be feeling really sh- like things have to be really shitty in order to do that. But when in reality, you know, when I joined your program, I, I was, I, I haven't, I wasn't feeling shitty before and I'm not feeling shitty now, but I love the way that you talk about using your body and experimenting and playing with one's body. And that for me has been the most, um, mind-blowing thing and you know it doesn't have to be about going from terrible to great it can be about going from pretty good to okay better you know and and I love that no I love I love how you just put that I think that's so great and even while you're saying that you know with like playing and curiosity it even makes me think about like little kids I don't have kids so you Mm -hmm. know can only speak to so much but like if you even think about exercise, right? Like how many of us as adults are like, oh, I, I don't exercise enough or like I should enjoy it. I hate it. I don't like going to the gym, blah, 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 blah. And then we look at some kids and of course every kid is different, bio-individuality. But we look at kids who are getting enough, air quotes, exercise. What are they doing? Nine out of 10 times kids are playing, right? They're just being embodied. They're being in our bodies. And then as adults, we get all these cultural messages and downloads that we should align with the shoulds. You should go to the gym. You should work out in this way. Oh, you shouldn't like strength training. Oh, you should do Pilates, like whatever it's going to be. So I think nine out of 10 times what we're doing, especially in Lean and Liberated, there's a lot of information in there, but it's it's it, it's to boil things off or it's just to like reduce the information because health and wellness, which is what a lot of women are seeking in there, is saying like, I want to get like incrementally better in whatever direction or just feel more embodied have a better understanding of why I'm eating, why I feel full, what my uh, appetite is telling me. But at the end of the day, it's to reduce the noise because there's so many shoulds on us. And we're actually like our human needs are pretty simple, but it's like, you know, Instagram culture or just like influencer, like 
we have so much information coming at us 24 seven. And as humans that are curious, we're intrigued. So it's, it's almost like creating those energetic boundaries and remembering like, you're great, you're really smart, right? Like we have these amazing frontal lobes, we do all these things, but like our needs are actually pretty simple. So how do we fine tune and dial back? And usually that comes into like, okay, how do I reduce my stress? How do I reduce all these things that I feel like I have to be making decisions around? Yeah, I think that that's so fascinating. And it makes me, I've never struggled with my weight, but it makes me want to do Lean and Liberated. So that's exciting. Um, I'm very um, intrigued. This is something that, it's been a question that I've thought about a lot. And I have a personal example of it that goes along with the question for Lucia. But how the this question of body positivity is something that Shay and I have talked about without an expert like yourself present. So I'm interested in what your thoughts are around this particular culture that I think is very millennial and you've kind of touched upon it of like, it's very individual and I do believe in any size body, you can be quote unquote healthy, whatever that means for you and the professionals around you. Right. But I, I've had a personal example with this where I had a very close friend in college who was clinically overweight for lack of better phrasing And she's one of the most body positive, fun, awesome people I've ever met in my life. She's like full of life, like spit and vinegar, like the the life of the party. And she's been overweight as long as I've known her and has no feeling to change that and is really kind of like vehement against any type of quote unquote diet, anyone that is encouraging women to lose weight, even like thinking about that. And she's always said, I feel healthy in my body, but I've had the personal experience with her of, for as an example, going on vacation with her and we're with four women of all varying body sizes. And we want to go on a walk on the beach and she can only last maybe five minutes on the walk. And she always kind of plays it off with humor of like, oh, I just want to sit down and I'm going to have, and she also likes to drink and stuff. So she's like, I'm just going to sit here and have a drink. You guys go on the walk. I'm fine here. Like she's always super upbeat about it. But in the back of the rest of our minds, we're like, that's not healthy that she doesn't feel like she can go on the walk with us, but also maybe she just isn't a walker and is just enjoying her time on the beach by herself. So I've always struggled with this because I care about my friend. And I guess this is a core of my question as someone who I've always kind of been this size. I was just talking to my mom. Lucia can see me on camera. So that's why I'm gesturing this way. But like I was just talking to my mom because I've literally have not changed size since eighth grade. I've been in this body for, I don't know, 10 years. I'm 26. So like even longer than that. So I it, it hasn't been my particular struggle. And I've always felt compassion to women like that, that I can, I can see like, there's things that I'm able to do that I find joy in that she's not able to do. But is, is it my place to say anything? And how can I help that? And how does this broader cultural conversation around body positivity play into it? So that's my very long winded question slash story. (laughs) I love it. I love it. No, and I have a couple, you know, a couple, well, more than a couple of thoughts on that for sure. 
The first is also, you know, just like reminding people, my view is really radical and I know that and I embrace it. So first and foremost, I think anyone is allowed to do whatever they want, even if they have health markers that are indicating something else. And I'm not saying in her position that she does, right? I'm not saying that anyone who's in a larger body necessarily has having that experience, but I truly believe that if we at least have education around how our bodies work and function, because I do think culturally we lack that, we lack understanding how our bodies use nutrients, we lack knowing what nutrients are, period, like what is, what, what's protein in, right? Like all that stuff. So once we have this like baseline understanding, then I really believe that if someone wants to live their life in such a way that they might be encouraging either, um, something in their blood work or how they're living their lives that would indicate disease in a human body, right? So trending towards um, diabetes is a very common conversation when it comes to weight, right? Like just this stuff that whatever, like we're all going to have our own proclivities. But I really believe that if you have that basic understanding, you have every right to live your life in any which way. And again, it comes back to that judgment. So if you don't ever want to touch certain foods, if you don't want to have that baseline understanding, good for you. Like, that's great. So I just want to like throw that out there. But it, when it comes to people's choices and how they're living their lives, you know, something that we do in Lena Liberated is that we start to do an inventory of what we value. Like, what are our core values? So for someone, right, maybe the group, if we're going to go off your example, maybe kind of as a pod or a collective, some of you are naturally valuing being able to walk long distances or that ties into a deeper core value. But for someone else, if we wanna have that radical view, they might not value that. And that could be great. And values also change over time. So it's also kind of, you know, I think in our culture, we can really um, uh, white knuckle onto different ideas. And so I'm very much, I feel like I'm in the middle of, pro-diet culture and anti-diet culture, I would say I probably used to lean towards anti more. And I think that that, which is like a kind of a burgeoning social movement, um, and I would say body positivity can tie into that too, which is why I'm bringing it up. I think anti-diet culture, anytime that there's a norm in our culture, which is what pro-diet culture is, that's the norm, right? Magazines are saying, hey, you should lose weight, you'll feel better, like life will be so much better, so much shinier, and this is how you do it. So anytime there's something like that, that's a norm, of course, we're going to have um, movements that are going to be the exact opposite. And I think that's really needed. Let's have that exact opposite to shake people, right? To like wake them up and be like, oh, wait, I never thought like some of us grow up thinking that you have to be in a diet, right? That's what it means to be female identified in the U.S. or whatever, so I think having those social constructs is great because it can wake people up, but also they're extreme. And also a lot of people are using them as marketing. So of course they're gonna say the things, they're gonna do the thought reversals that are gonna grab people's attention. So once they have their attention, that's when I think that we can kind of come back into this middle arena and really recognize there's no good and bad. It just comes back to what we've been chatting about, that we have personal choice, we have autonomy, and we get to have the time and energy, which I don't think we have in U.S. culture. I think we're completely stressed out all the time. But if we would like to choose the time and space to really inventory, gosh, what do I value, right? Or like, where am I having some cognitive dissonance where things aren't feeling so good for me, if that's the truth for someone? But that also means that if we're doing that work ourselves, we get to allow other people to do that work themselves without judgment, which is hard. Yeah. <laughs> but so you're, I guess the kind of answer to my question is I, I shouldn't, I've never, I've known this 
woman. She's one of my close friends for 10 years and I've never commented or suggested anything type of thing. Like, would you suggest not obviously your bias because this it's your work, but like, do you think that it's your type of work people should find out by themselves? Or do you think as kind of the concerned third party, there's a way to either bring up the conversation or express concern in a good way or recommend maybe some of your work? Or do you think it's better to just kind of live and let live kind of thing? I think live and let live and follow their lead, right? Like if she is having some of those comments, maybe there is potential for a conversation, but I would I would lead because I know for me, right? Like when I was in that larger body and my body weight has fluctuated over the years. So it's like pretty recently I was in a larger body and like those comments were coming up. So it's up to that person. Even, you know, it comes back to the Adele conversation. Like you never know why people are presenting in a certain way. And you never know when that's going to change. And yes, it sounds like she's a close personal friend, but her body, her rules, right? So if you have that type of relationship to get into that conversation, I believe she would have to be the person to start that conversation. And then you could be the friend who holds the space for it. That's great advice. Thank you. I love that. Lucia gives a lot of good advice. I love it. Um, So, I have one final question, Maddie. I don't know about you. Go ahead. Go ahead and ask your question. So you're in this fascinating industry, one that often has a lot of controversy. You have kind of a radical take on things. So I want to know what makes you mad. Oh my God. What makes me mad? Oh, okay. This might take a second. So all the time. I was just telling Tim last week and then who's my boyfriend, uh, and then my mom, I was texting with her. I had a day last week where I got, everything was just, it was making me mad. And that's not my normal. I'm not here to say I'm like Pollyanna, like happy all the time, but usually it's like neutral to like, meh, shrug it off. Like everyone can just go lead their lives, like whatever. Enneagram nine. Yeah, totally Enneagram nine. Right? Yeah, like peacekeeper. Are like you a nine, sides. Lucia? I'm a nine. I'm yeah. an eight. Oh, you're an eight. Oh my gosh. See, I love that. Cause I think what I just realized is that I'm a nine wing eight and I never identified with the wings before. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. no, I get a little fiery. Yeah. So last, I mean, okay. What makes me mad? And I won't be a nine and like, try to, you know, like say all sides. What makes me mad is when people don't take personal responsibility. Mm. I love that. I like that too. Yeah. And what, can you kind of give an example of what that looks like? Oh man. Sorry. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> no, it's so good. On no, it's so, so good. Um, for me, what I can see just in life, just in general, because, you know, the work I do, it very much moves into like mindset and um, just like, like self-development. So I think there's a lot of great self-development and then some stuff that's not so great. And that can be kind of a weird world people get into. It's a little woo-woo. I love the woo-woo, but like, okay, there's a lot in that world. So I don't know. I would say like, gosh, I, I love my train of thought. Or maybe I can, <laughs> That's okay. I can rephrase. I think this is yeah. akin to Shay's question. I just thought about it. Like what's something that you find toxic? Like what mm-hmm. is an example of like toxic, either diet culture, or just like culture in general that you wish would just like poof away. Yeah. It would just go away. I will then. Okay. I would say victim mentality, right? So people who aren't 
being responsible for themselves and their lives, regardless, and this can be, you know, I think people can take this to be kind of a privileged thing to say, and sure, if it is, okay. But regardless of where people are at in their lives, we always have choice, even if it's the teeniest, tiniest choice. But to sit and complain, which is different than venting and just like being a human and being frustrated, to sit and complain and to choose inaction, I find just unfortunate because we're choosing to be less embodied or to be less in our lives. And again, I think our lives go by really quickly. And so I'm always a fan of coming back into embodiment and allowing ourselves to like, even if it's a hard change, we're allowed to do it. Even if it's something that we're like, oh my God, I don't want to, we're allowed to do it if there's actually a voice in our head that says we can do that. I love that. That's awesome. All right, well, shall we move into our archery range? Yes. I think we shall. So, Lucia, we are going to ask you a series of rapid-fire questions. Answer with just whatever comes to the top of your head. Um, If we ask you for a favorite, it can be a favorite. It doesn't have to be your top favorite of all time, so don't stress. Okay. All right, Maddie, you want to kick it off? Sure. Favorite place you've visited but never lived? Ooh, um, Paris. Mm. Oh. Will we ever get to go back to Europe? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I hope so. Okay. Uh, favorite book? Favorite book? Mm, um, All Things Great and Small, James Harriet. Oh, that's a phenomenal book. I love that. By the way, I have more book recommendations for you. I have never heard of that one. Wait, I want the book recommendations too. Something I know. Well, Lucia posted on her Instagram and I was like, I gave her one and I'm like, wait, I have like six more for oh you. Oh my God, I have yes. to follow. So I signed up for her newsletter today, but I do not follow her on Instagram, full oh, disclosure. So that's good. the next phase of my journey yes. with getting so to know good. Lucia. <laughs> Lucia. Um, all creatures great and small. Well, just give us the quick synopsis. It's oh so yeah. Good. So yeah, so I don't. I found these books when I was like young. I don't know. It was just so warm and heartening the way that. So it's James Harriet. He's a vet, um, like a veterinarian, uh, and he's just talking about his different experiences with like farm animals um, and just like the small town that he's in. He's in somewhere around England. I'm not sure anymore. Uh, but just. It almost felt like watching like a movie, Reno, you know, where it's like nothing. They're like these he's like sticking his hand up into like a horse to like deliver a calf, right? Like, or a baby horse, whatever, a foal. Is that what a baby horse is called? Mm, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, So like kind of graphic stuff, right? Like farm animal life, but just, it was such a beautiful lens into a different world. And I discovered his books. He has a whole series of books um, about his life as a veterinarian, like farm veterinarian that I I just found fascinating because he would talk about the animals and then like the families around it because it was small town. I love it. Yeah. So good. Amazing. Um, I think it's my turn. Um, favorite turn movie? Oh, uh, Better Off Dead. Oh, cool. I like it. Awesome. Favorite TV show? Oh, okay. So a favorite, like a favorite right mm-hmm. now, not the favorite. A favorite is The Masked Singer. Oh, <gasps> girl, you and I are Do you be like best it? friends. Oh, okay. Oh my gosh, so no one else likes it. Okay, so I have a very specific like niche interest in it because back when we could go to offices and interact with people, my old team at work, we used to, we don't watch The Masked Singer because we like to play this game where I think it's on Wednesdays, on Thursdays, we would come in and one person would Google who was on The Masked Singer 
and then we would play 20, 20 questions to try to figure out who it was. And then that night on Thursday, we would all watch the episode. And then on Friday during lunch, we would talk about it. So it was like a very niche, like office cultural thing. But I miss it. <laughs> Oh, that is so fun. And that's exactly so my boyfriend is the only other person I know who will watch it because we watch it together. Everyone else is like, how dare you like that's such like trash. I find it really fun. I find it heartening. It's just like relaxing, especially with everything else happening in quarantine. By the end of the week, I don't want to be using my brain. Like I just want something silly and I want to like think about a celebrity that I like have not really thought of or like in that way. It's fun. I love that. It's so good. I totally I'm right with you. It's amazing. um favorite year of school Ooh, so that one's interesting because i was homeschooled for a long time um i would say my actually my senior year of high school because i did go to an arts high school my last two years um and it was just a really cool experience i was in their music program super into music so it was really fun getting to compose i'm gonna derail our segment but like two second overview yay or nay on homeschool because i know that's a big topic right now with the coronavirus of like should we go back to homeschool? Is it good? Like, should the average person do it? Like, what's your 60, se- 60 second feeling on homeschool? I, I loved it. I mean, you know, certain times, especially being like a teenager, there are times I did not like it. But there are times that I think most kids don't like school school either. So looking back on it, it was a really cool experience. And I actually think that it really informs how I work today, where I'm just like, mm, but there's always a choice. Like, mm, we can be a little counterculture and that can be okay. Love that. That's that was good. very cool. Okay, my last arrow. Favorite childhood snack. Ooh, so many. <laughs> oh my gosh, I know it's rapid fire. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. Um, it could be a couple of favorites. We love Shay and I love snacks. We love snacks. It's actually when I visit Shay, I'm always like, Shay, I need snacks at all times. Yeah. <laughs> and she I would always say, provides. Oh, I love that snack attack. Um, I would say what's coming to mind right now is like my mom would make this strawberry parfait. All it was was sliced strawberries and like, you know, like vanilla yogurt. So delicious at like three o'clock in the afternoon. We lived in Florida for a while too. And it's really hot outside. You run inside, you're in the AC, you get this cool snack. Delicious. Oh, I love that. That's an amazing dessert too. Fruit with the yogurt. That's awesome. I love that. Everyone should watch, by the way, my current tv obsession which is nadia hussein's time to eat on netflix and if you're a great british bake-off fan apparently she's a past winner and she is adorable all the food looks delicious and she does factory and farm tours i'm like this is everything i love in tv and more and it's so good it's so good highly oh, i had no idea i i watched yeah. the season she was on i love yeah her. i had no idea yeah i love she it i didn't amazing. either this is a great recommendation Oh, I'm literally obsessed, and there's only seven episodes, and I have two more to watch, and I'm like, this is terrible. You're, like, savoring them. Yeah, seriously. That's amazing. Awesome. Well, Lucia, where can we find all of your work, slash for our listeners, slash myself, as I literally devour everything you've ever done after we get off this phone call? (laughs) Oh, my God. That's so amazing. Yeah, so um, Lucia Hawley, L-U-C-I-A-H-A-W-L-E-Y.com. That's where everything is, like, the hub for everything. So that's, you know, where my work is at. I also have the Devoured Podcast, which is a weekly podcast. And you can just look for that wherever you listen to um, podcasts or devouredpodcast.com. And then I'm totally on Instagram, like all the time, like speaking about boundaries, that you should probably figure that out. But I'm Lucia Holly underscore on Instagram and love to 
connect and chat. Awesome. Right. Lucia, thank you so, so much. This was amazing. Thank, really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thank you. This is so fun. I love it. Thanks, campers. All right, campers. You can say bye to the campers, Maddie. Goodbye, campers. Bye. <laughs> that was a creepy voice. <laughs> oh, my in. gosh. This was so good. Thanks for listening. Camp Adulthood is hosted by Maddie Yergi, Resident Youth, and Shay Keats, Camp Adulthood. We are produced by Jenny Mayfield, and this episode was recorded in Maddie's living room. You can find us on social media at camp underscore adulthood. You can email us hello at campadulthood.com, and you can visit us at campadulthood.com. Thanks, campers. We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood.